A photograph has the potential to tell you volumes about who you are as a person. It does. And that's why a picture is worth a thousand words. But how much is an MRI worth? I'm not talking about how much Blue Cross gets charged when you get your torn ACL imaged. I'm talking about how much the information in an MRI means to you. The brain is not like your knee, or that ACL that was torn and could be fixed by surgery. There aren't many surgical options in neurology that actually fix things. So knowing what your brain looks like, and if there's something abnormal about it, how much would that information mean to you? If there's something wrong in your brain, how wrong is it? Does it tell you as much about yourself as a photo might? Well, we're going to talk about this in a minute, as soon as Brainwaves continues. A brief note before we get started, the show is a rerun from 2016. The audio has been remastered and the interviews were touched up a bit. Well, here it is. I feel like one of the big benefits of photography is that you're trying to capture all of the emotion and put it into this one picture. And I think that can be really powerful when you get it right. And I also love that you can take that picture and put it on your wall and you'll look at it every day. Welcome back to Brainwaves. I'm Jim Siegler, and today I'm going to be conducting two interviews, both with physicians about the importance of imaging. So let me welcome Dr. Salim Shaheen, who is an instructor of neurology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. He works in the MS division. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the invite. First of all, I'd like to just open up with uh, you telling me about the kind of imaging you do and how you decided on this type of career in imaging. So as a neurologist, the most common image that we do, and especially in my subspecialty of multiple sclerosis, is actually MRI, magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, It tells us a lot about uh, MS patients' uh, disease progress. We also do computer astromography scans as part of neurology. The reason I went into neurology was actually not because of an image, but because of a drawing. It was Netter's drawings of neuroanatomy. That's what really drew me to this fascinating world of brain and spinal cord anatomy. And I knew way back in med school that this is what I wanted to do. And then later on to be able to correlate these drawings with the pictures that we see on MRI was very fascinating. I called my parents in college, actually, and told them I wanted to be a photography major. Dr. Allie Mendelson here, who's another resident at the hospital at the University of Pennsylvania. And they just laughed and said, Allie, you don't even have a camera. That was back in the days where we had just disposable cameras. We didn't even have digital cameras or iPhones at that time. I just, I don't know. I was drawn to photography and felt like that was what I was supposed to do. I was taking a few friends' engagement pictures, and I thought, oh, I'll make a website and take some family photos and engagement photos. But then it just blossomed, and I haven't had a day off since I made the website last November. In the past six months, it's grown from something that was a hobby to a second job. And although it is a second job and a business that you created, it doesn't feel like work to you. No, it doesn't feel like work at all. I can't believe I get paid for it, because I would do it for free. Can you tell me how your photography can tell you more or maybe less than 
what other imaging modalities can tell you about the patient, specifically MRI and CAT scan. I think both could help with discussions about prognosis and goals. We often use MRIs and CAT scans to have like similar discussions. You can show pictures of a CAT scan with a big bleed to a family, and sometimes when they see the blood on the brain, it's easier for them to say, let's focus on comfort. And I also think maybe showing them a picture of how functional they were, it might make them say, well, let's try to get them back there, or it might make them say, if they couldn't get back to that, then they wouldn't really want that life. They wouldn't want the life of being on a ventilator and having a feeding tube and being in a nursing home. So I think I use both in helping with discussions with family about goals and plan, but in very different ways. I think about neurology a lot as detective work. So we, our work is about localization. So when you're when meeting with a patient, we're talking in clinic, by the end of that visit, you've already formulated an idea about what you think is going on and where. You might have a list of choices. And this is where the image comes in. It's my piece of evidence, if you will, in my detective work. Can you tell me about when a situation might arise that the imaging changes management, whereas the exam would not, or the exam might change management, but an image would not? That's a, actually a great question, especially in the field of MS. So even though in MS, you know, sometimes, yes, we use the image to localize. The patient tells you about a symptom in both legs or something like that, and you expect to see a lesion in a certain part of the spinal cord. In MS specifically, patients are 10 times more likely to have changes on their MRI and not have changes clinically. So we use the MRI a lot. We rely on it a lot because we want to nip the inflammation in the butt before it manifests clinically. And that's why MS is one of the specialties in neurology where the image can change and dictate your management. You've taken photography in an interesting direction and not just within your business itself, but you've also been using photography in the clinical setting as part of a quality improvement metric. Yeah, so I actually, I started the project in med school, and the goal of the study was to have patients bring in a picture that represents how they'd want their doctors and other healthcare providers to see them, in the sense that they're lying there in a hospital gown and don't have makeup on, don't have their hair, don't, don't look at all like they would look out in the real world, and have really no control about how people see them. But by bringing in a picture and putting it above their bed, their healthcare providers are forced to see them how they want to portray themselves. And I think it's different than a lot of patients bring in pictures or family members bring in pictures, but they're usually on the wall where the patients can see them. But when the team comes in, their back is to that wall. They're there, but you don't have to look at them. Even people who aren't interested in social histories and getting to know the patient are kind of forced to see it. And I think whether or not they ask questions about it or realize that it changes how they see the patient, I think it has to. An MRI doesn't necessarily tell you a lot about what the exam could look like in somebody who may have a more active disease, but can it give you more information about the prognosis long-term in these patients? Absolutely. The MRI definitely plays a role. It is part of our diagnostic criteria in MS. It is now part of this new um, outcome measure or new end result that we want in our from our treatments, which is NEDA, N-E-D-A. 
no evidence of disease activity. And it not only encompasses no new relapses or new symptoms, but actually no new MRI activity, no new lesions or anything enhancing on MRI. So in looking at a certain image to kind of prognosticate the long term, I know that there are some MS drugs like natalizumab specifically, I believe, that can actually reduce the size or reduce the lesion burden. Even those chronic lesions that you don't think should change, that have been there for many, many years, switching to highly active medications or medications that we think work better or stronger, we showed that the lesions look better. We cannot necessarily say that it is repairing, but it's potentially promoting repair. It is reducing inflammation to a point that it's letting the brain repair the myelin and potentially repair the nerve fibers. The imaging modality and the lens through which an image is captured can tell you a lot about or can really affect the, the quality or the information that's delivered in a picture. I feel like I've thought a lot about this topic. I think because I like capturing spontaneous moments and organic moments, and and I think by having a prime lens, you get closer and you back up and you're part of the moment more than you are if you're standing far away and you're able to just zoom in. I have a couple that I'm doing their engaging picture. I don't always want them just smiling at me. I want them to interact with each other the way that they would if they're just walking around the park. My lens is my magnet strength, and I'd like it to be at least a three Tesla. I tell my patients you can have a standard definition MRI and a high definition MRI. And, you know, in my language, high definition is the higher magnet strength. So the unit that we use is Tesla, named after the famed scientist. Most MRIs started at, I think, 0.5 Tesla or even lower. Um, most MRIs currently available are 1.5 Tesla, but we like to see images on at least a 3 Tesla scanner. It gives you a much better quality you can miss things. I've had patients have an image on a 3Tesla and then went back and had it for insurance reasons on a, on a lower resolution scanner, and you can miss a lot of lesions, especially in the spinal cord. 7Tesla scanners are mostly for research purposes. There's only a handful in the entire country. It's a much clearer image. It is like, I think it, the revolution that that's going to bring is similar to the revolution that DSLR images brought to the photography world. You, you are going to see unbelievable details. The small example I can use from my field is there's um, a suggestion that there's a central venule, a small vein, in every MS lesion. And that can tell if it's a demyelinating lesion or not. And for differential diagnosis, when we're meeting a patient and we're not sure what this white spot is on MRI, that's going to be a deal breaker. MS used to be considered a white matter disease. You only saw lesions in the deeper part of the brain, the white matter, the connection between the nerve cells. But we've learned through pathology, as well as through some of the images on 3Tesla, there are lesions in the cortex, in the, in the neurons. And those are probably responsible for a lot of the cognitive changes that our patients have. And we see them much better on 7Tesla, and we see a lot more than, the, than we know the patient has. The image is not just for you uh, to understand what's going on for the patient, but the patient may also benefit from seeing the image that you acquire. Can you tell me about an encounter that you had with a patient where you showed them the image and it made an impact on them? So I think that neuroimaging is actually a very personal experience. To us clinicians, when we're looking at an image, it is an abstract image. We use it for diagnosis, for treatment. We use it to follow a patient. We discuss it in conferences. We tend to remove the personal aspect from it. But I encourage all physicians and neurologists out there to actually sit down and show the pictures to their patients. And for a brief second, just take a glimpse at your patient's face when you're showing them the images, especially of the brain, but that could be true for any body part. 
it's ama- their reaction is amazing. And it made me realize that these pictures are very personal. To them, they're even more personal than some of their most intimate pictures. I became very emotional and uh, tearful twice in my medical training. One was when I was sitting down with a family. We were in the surgical ICU. I was an intern my first year ever of doing medicine as a, as a doctor. And the, this was a family of a young patient who had stepped out of his car to help a, another car on the side of the road, and he was hit by a truck. He was in the ICU, intubated, and in a coma. Now, his exam was very poor, and we knew, based on his exam, he was probably not going to have a good prognosis. But what we saw on his CAT scan was significant blood in his brainstem. And so we knew that he wasn't going to survive that injury. It was me, a neurosurgery resident, and the family. And it was the picture that broke the news to the family. It wasn't how he, it was how the picture looked. It wasn't necessarily how their son looked. That was the first time everybody in the room was crying, including myself. The second time I really became emotional was actually more personal. It was when my daughter was at the children's hospital. Uh, She was a year and a half old. And one of my colleagues there, because they knew I'm a neurologist, they wanted to show me the pictures, the images. Thankfully, everything was okay. It was normal on the MRI. My daughter did well. But just that split second when I was looking at her brain, I, I just, even though I knew it was normal, I just couldn't. It, it, it touched me in a way that I never thought an, an image would. And since then, whenever I want to see an image with a patient in the room, I ask them first, do you want me to turn the screen so you can see, or would you rather not? There's a few patients that say no, and, you know, at first I, I didn't understand why they didn't want to. But now that it's person, that it became personal, it, it's, uh, it's changed me as a doctor. I remember I was part of a research study here at Penn as an intern, and uh, I was... Uh, compensated for my time to get an MRI as part of a hemophilia study as a control patient and um, they offered to let me see the MRI after after I was done participating in the study and it took me a year and a half actually before I wanted to look at it because I didn't have the strength or the courage to actually look at the scan. I, I thought I might find something that was just so minuscule but would haunt me forever and it was going to happen regardless whatever it was that I could find, and I was grateful that I didn't see anything terribly abnormal, but it's, it is It's kind it's of like terrifying. seeing a picture of yourself or seeing yourself in a movie that somebody else shot. You're always surprised at how you look or how you act because you never see it from a lens perspective. It was the same for, for the scan. It was a very different, it gives us a very different perspective about ourselves, and we don't necessarily always want to see that. Often find it so much easier to capture emotion in a photograph than I do in words. I find one of the things I found most challenging about palliative care was writing the progress notes because how do you really put all of that onto a piece of paper? I wish I could just take a picture and use that as my note. I imagine this life of doing palliative care during the week and shooting weddings and newborns on the weekend and getting to be part of all these big moments in people's lives and capturing people's stories. But I guess during the week it'll be on paper and on the weekend on camera but I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to tie it all together.
Again, that was Dr. Ali Mendelson and Salim Shaheen. Salim is now an assistant professor of neurology at Washington University in St. Louis, and Ali is halfway through her palliative care fellowship at the University of California in San Diego. And she is still very much practicing photography on the weekends. You can learn more about her work by going to AliMarissaPhotography.com. That's Ali, M-A-R-I-S-A, photography.com. That does it for our show this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Music was by Lee Rosevere, Kevin McLeod, and R. Sonor. And I'm Jim Siegler, producer of the show. Talk to you next week.